two things happened to me this week that uh, in inverted order of the lessons that I drew from the Torah portion related to these two events in my life, two things happened to me this week that in the way of our Torah, the way of our sacred literature and art imitating life, so to speak, there was a moment of, of radical transparency between my own life, my own Torah, and the Torah itself as it was unfolding this week. So in chronological order, on Wednesday night, the evening of Yom HaShoah, the evening of Holocaust Memorial Day, I was home studying, preparing for Shabbat. It's my night to prepare. And everything in me did not want to go down to the Holocaust reading of the names. It's a memorial that is done for the last couple of years. And Romo has a slot. The rabbis have a slot at 10 o'clock. And then Romo has a slot at 11.30. So at 10 10 o'clock came and I was still studying the Parsha. And I thought, you know... You know, I'll light a candle here in my house. But by 11.15, I couldn't take it anymore. So I quickly ran downstairs and got into a cab and made my way down for the reading of the names, and there were a group of people there, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. So that was the first episode, the first scene. And the second scene is Thursday morning, early in the morning. I'm making breakfast for myself and my son, whom everybody here knows, Bear, loves to put out fires. That's his thing. He's a fireman now. And because he's a fireman and he saw me cooking some eggs, he asked, he said, Abba, can I put out the fire? And I said, no problem. And he stood on a little step stool next to the stovetop and he took out his hose and he went, <laughs> and I turned off the burner. <laughs> Voila, the fire is out. And as I turned to, to put the eggs onto a plate, I heard him say, Abba, how do I make it go on again? And he reached over, and before I could do anything, he grabbed the burning hot stovetop. Very briefly, he dropped it and he started to cry, and I grabbed him, and I was hugging him and getting ice. And just to put, to put you at ease, he's fine. <laughs> he's absolutely, Baruch Hashem, fine, not even a blister, nothing. But he was shocked. And what really what really impacted me was how how hopeless I felt and how guilty I felt all at once. And as I thought about this week's Torah portion and as I allowed it to allowed myself to to sink into this week's Torah portion, of course, in this week's Torah portion, Aaron the older brother of Moses loses his two sons, Nadav and Aviu, and they're burned by fire. And the Torah says that in response to this horrific tragedy, in response to this unspeakable trauma, Aaron is literally struck dumb. That word dumb in Hebrew, vayidom aharon, dom, he was struck dumb, he couldn't speak. And the Mepharshim, the commentaries, are themselves wondering, what is the nature of this silence? Is it acquiescence? Is it radical receptivity to God's judgment? Is it the powerful silence of one who knows that 
there are things that lie beyond human understanding? Is it the mystical, unitive capacity of Aaron that he could be in the place that transcended words? What is the nature of Dmama, of Vayidom Aharon? Vayidom Aharon, that Aaron was Vayidom, that he was Dmama, that he was silent. And in that moment, on Thursday morning, it dawned on me, obviously, that maybe Aaron felt guilty. Maybe he wondered, how is it possible that on my watch, that I who is made responsible for these children, I who am their, right, their Kohen Gadol, the great priest, their father and their mentor, how could it be that I allowed them to come too close to something so dangerous and yet so life-giving? And perhaps Aaron's Dmama, that his silence is a silence that bespeaks a radical hopelessness that comes from the awareness that maybe he could have, but he didn't. That possibly he was overwhelmed by the enormity of that moment and how it spoke to his own vulnerability and his own powerlessness. That in the face of powerlessness, Aaron couldn't speak. And yet, in perhaps for me the most telling moment in that episode, in this chapter, is what happens after Aaron's silence. In chapter 10, we are told, Vaidaber Moshe el Aaron Azar Tamar Banav Hanotarim. Moses spoke to Aaron and to his remaining sons. That word remaining will appear two more times, as if to, to, to elicit from us that sense of what's left over, of what has taken place. Moses gives Aaron instructions and he says, there's still work for you to do. And Aaron, in a powerful moment of rising from the ashes, Aaron the phoenix, Aaron who was just a moment ago silent, Aaron begins the work of the priesthood. Until he gets to the moment where he says, Moshe asks him, why didn't you do something? And Aaron responds, I was in mourning and so I couldn't. And Moses is reproached. And so we have here in the second episode something that very much it spoke to me about Wednesday night. You can imagine how overwhelmed Aaron was. You can imagine how emotionally incapacitated he was. You can imagine how guilty he felt and you can imagine how paralyzed he must have been. And yet Moshe, the leader that he was, Moshe, the brother that he was, Moshe said to Aaron, Aaron, even though you are overwhelmed, even though the job of, of grieving, even though the mourning that you will undergo is so overwhelming, it is so immense, you don't have the luxury of being overwhelmed. You don't have the luxury of at this moment, at this moment you don't have that 
that isn't given to you. And you must pick yourself up and you must, you must challenge yourself, Aaron, to at least approach the place of speech. You must at least begin to articulate something. And then Aaron, of course, does. He says, I'm in mourning and I can't do anymore. But Moshe goads him and says, Aaron, start to move from the frozen place of inarticulation to the place of articulation. Ruth Messenger has a quote where she says that when looking at the world's evils and all of the things that beseech us at any moment, and particularly, let's say, at Romamu, where over the course of the past year we have undertaken a community-wide organizing against some, for some social issue, and we've chosen hunger, and you can imagine how radically inept it must feel to begin working on world hunger. You can imagine how paralyzing it must be to take a stand and try to make the world a different place, to make your life a different life. It can be so overwhelming. And Ruth Messenger said that we don't have the luxury to regress, she said, to the world of overwhelm. We don't have the luxury to throw up our hands and say, it's too much when it comes to changing this world. To take ourselves from the place of, I'm not going to show up, I'm not going to be there, even though the power of every person that showed up that night, on Wednesday night, five people reciting the names of Holocaust victims from Lithuania, names, 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 so many names that it felt so overwhelming. And the, the inside was saying, what good can it do to show up? What good can it do to say one name? And along comes the Torah and Aaron and says, first there's silence, first there's overwhelm, and then we get going, and then we get moving, and then we make a difference, then we take a stand, then we move ourselves to move others. Aaron was a Rodef Shalom. He was somebody who searched for peace. So my bracha to you tonight, on this week of of remembering the Shoah and on the Shabbos of remembering a particular moment in our narrative is that in the face of unspeakable overwhelm, the Torah invites us to move forward. The Torah invites us to ask ourselves a question, how will my getting up and moving forward move the world that much closer? How can I make a difference? It's that question which is the quintessential Jewish question. Not every tradition asks that question quite that way. That is the quintessential Jewish question. Not why, but what? Not why, but how?